This sermon is titled 1 Thessalonians part 1. Be enriched as you listen. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. From time to time, uh, every year, we like to study a book uh, in the Bible. And we've done several different books over uh, the years. Last year, I think we covered James. So this year, we're going to do First and Second Thessalonians. Is that okay? First and Thess- Second Thessalonians. What's interesting is that First and Second Thessalonians were the very first epistles written by the Apostle Paul. We know that Paul the Apostle wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, about 13 or 14 epistles he wrote, if you include Hebrews and assign that to him. Uh, he wrote so much of the New Testament, and it all began with these two, First and Second Thessalonians. So it's, it's going to be very interesting as we uh, journey through First and Second Thessalonians. So let's get a little bit of a background um, we go into Paul's second missionary journey. So if you look at the map that comes on the screen, uh, Paul's second missionary journey, which happened approximately between AD 49 to 52. Approximately. These are not precise, but estimated years when Paul went on a second missionary journey. So Paul's home church was the church in Antioch, which you find in, in modern day, you find it in North uh, in Syria, Antioch in Syria. So if you look at a map, you see Syria, you'll find Antioch there, marked with a star. That was his home church, his home base. And he traveled from there on his missionary journeys. And uh, when uh, he began the second missionary journey, you find this recorded for us in the book of Acts, chapter 16, 17, and 18. He left from Antioch along with Silas. Silas was actually... Uh, a member of the church in Jerusalem. He grew up, uh, he was nurtured in his faith in Jerusalem. He was one of the leaders who emerged in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, Silas was sent out from Jerusalem, from the church in Jerusalem to carry a message to other churches. He arrived in Antioch where Paul was. He decided to stay there in Antioch. And so from there, Paul and Silas go on their second missionary journey. And so they head out west Uh, which basically is modern-day Turkey. They come through to um, Saul Paul's hometown, which is Tarsus. And from there, they travel through the district of Galatia, where there are three major cities, Lystra, Derby, and Iconium. And so they, Paul and Silas, travel through these three cities. And then they find a young man named Timothy. Now, Timothy was somebody who came to the Lord through the first missionary journey when Paul traveled through Galatia, Timothy had come to keep the map on, please, so that people can follow what I'm saying. Uh, so that, uh, so uh, Paul passed through, when he came on his first missionary journey through uh, Lystra, Derby, and Iconium, those three cities in the district of Galatia, Timothy's family had come to Christ. Timothy came to Christ. He was nurtured in faith. So now on the second missionary journey, Paul decides that Timothy must come with them. So now you've got a three-man team. And so once they have ministered in that area of Galatia, in these three cities, Paul intends to continue ministering there in central Turkey, which is also known as Asia Minor. So he wants to minister there. But it's very interesting, and you read about this in Acts chapter 16, verse 9 to 10. The Bible says, the Holy Spirit did not permit them. So can you imagine? Paul is saying, hey, I want to preach here, right here in, in this place, in all these areas. And the Holy Spirit said, no. So Paul said, maybe I'll go a little more west. So he moves a little more west. He wants to preach, and the Bible says, the Holy Spirit forbid them. It's very interesting. The Holy Spirit is saying, don't do ministry in these places. And so what happens? You read about this in Acts 16. Paul has a vision in the night, and he's in that vision, he sees a man from Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. 
Macedonia is on across the Aegean Sea, is on uh, what we modern day is Greece, the east coast of Greece. Macedonia is a district on the east coast of northeast part of Greece. And so he sees a man from Macedonia in this vision saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul says, oh, now I know why the Holy Spirit said, don't minister here. I've got work for you over there. And a great lesson for all of us. The Holy Spirit is in charge of the ministry. Amen? We have to go where he wants us to go. We have to do what he wants us to do. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they go all the way to Troas, which is the, the, the seaport on the west coast of Turkey. And from there, they cross over the Aegean Sea. They come over into Macedonia, the northeastern part of Greece. And they start ministering there. One of the most important cities they start ministering there is Philippi. And we read about their ministry in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Now God does a wonderful thing there. The Bible says that Lydia, uh, her heart was prepared, open to receive. They had good ministry. But then in Philippi, they were persecuted, beaten, thrown in prison. We all remember the story. They had their feet in stocks. And in the jail, they were praising God. And God delivered them. And from Philippi, they come into Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, they were there only for three weekends. So maximum, they were there for one month. They preached the gospel of Jesus in Thessalonica. But, uh, and, and a lot of Gentiles, Greeks, Greeks, Gentiles become believers. Some Jews become believers. But most of the Jews rise up against them and chase them out of town. So they have a very short ministry in Thessalonica. Just about a month. And they're chased out of town. So from Thessalonica, they go down to Berea. Now what happens? As they're preaching in Berea, the Jews from Thessalonica, they come all the way to Berea. And they chase them out of Berea too. And so they get on to the seacoast get into a ship, and through ship, they come all the way down to Athens, which now is on the southeastern part of Greece. They come to Athens, and they have great ministry there. But Paul is very concerned about the believers in Thessalonica. So he sends Silas and Timothy. He says, go back to Thessalonica, find out how the believers are doing. And so Paul continues ministering in Athens, and from Athens, he goes down to Corinth. And he spends about 18 months ministering in Corinth. While he's at Corinth, Silas and Timothy come back. Timothy come back to him and say, hey, the believers in Thessalonica, they're doing good. They're still strong. A lot of persecution, but they're still strong in their faith. And Paul is greatly encouraged. And from Corinth, he writes first and second Thessalonians. Writes his first two letters back to the believers who are the new believers who are in Thessalonica. Are you all with me? Did you get some lost somewhere in the agency or still trying to find out? No, no, you're with me, right? So from Corinth, from Corinth, he's writing these two letters just to encourage these new believers who are in Thessalonica, right? And so it's, it's just been a short time, maybe about a year since these people have been believers. Paul and his team, Paul, Silas, Timothy, were in Thessalonica for just a short time, maybe less than a month. And in about a year's time, he's writing these, letter, these two letters back to the believers in Thessalonica. So let's see what, is, what he has to say to them. Right? So let's pick up. We'll read little portions of this, of this uh, you know, starting from chapter 1. We'll read little portions and then make some comments. First Thessalonians chapter 1. I'd ideally like to read the whole book or read the whole chapter and then, you know, start looking at it, but we don't have the time for it, so I'm just going to read little seg segments and we will make some comments. So First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What stands out immediately in this first verse is, Paul writes, 
Paul, Silvanus or Silas, and Timothy. Now, Timothy is a young man. He's just probably, uh, we don't know his age, but he's a new believer, probably in his, let's say, in his 20s. Can you imagine you've got your name as one of the authors? Paul, Silas, and those of you who've done research papers, you know how it is to get your name there. Whether it's, you know, second or third or what, doesn't matter. Man, I got my name on the paper or in a book. And here, Timothy gets his name. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But I think what this really shows us is that Paul recognizes every person who's part of the team. He could have said, hey, this letter is from Paul. Which, in fact, it was. But he includes his team, Silas and Timothy. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And, and I think that's so important for us to recognize everybody who's working with us, serving with us. It's not, things are not happening just because of us. It's happening because all of us are working together for the cause of Christ's kingdom. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. What's very noticeable is he, Paul doesn't refer to himself as an apostle. In almost all his other epistles, he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. In First and Second Thessalonians, the first two letters, and in Philemon, a letter that he writes sometime later, he does not bring out his apostles. He doesn't say, like, I'm the great apostle. No, no. Just, I, don't need to, I don't need to, quote, unquote, throw my weight around. I don't need that. So he just intentionally leaves that out. Are you with me so far? So there are times we need to know when we can say, I am so and so. And sometimes just leave that out. You don't need to, you know, make it known. Just keeps it playing. Paul, Silas, Timothy, I'm writing to the church. We are writing to the church that's in the church of the Thessalonians. And notice God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Co-equal together as God. Let's go. Verses 2, 3, and 4. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, a labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. So Paul and his team, Paul, Silas, Timothy, are praying for the churches. We give thanks. And we are making mention of you in our prayers. So they are praying for the churches. How important it is. So you and I need to pray. Pray for the church. Pray for the churches that, that God has made you a part of. Pray for them. Just as Paul and Timothy were praying. Paul, Timothy, and Silas were praying. And he's thanking God for three things about these Thessalonians. He's saying, we are remembering, verse 3, your work of faith... Your labor of love and patience of hope. Work of faith, of faith works. Love labors. Hope is patience. So let's say this together. Faith works. Love labors. And hope is patient. Now notice these three things. Faith, hope, and love. You remember where else he says that? First Corinthians 13. Paul mentions, now remains three things. Faith, hope, and love. In other words, he's saying, look, the essence of all of our, 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 our walk of faith, our life of, as believers, there are these three things, three key, key ingredients. Faith, hope, and love. And how is that expressed in our lives? Faith works. Faith is not dominant. Faith motivates us to get out there and do something about it. Because that's the way faith is demonstrated. Faith works. Love labors. Now, in English, the word work and labor seem to mean the same thing. But it's very interesting in the Greek. Paul actually uses two different Greek words for work and labor. He could have used the same 
word, but he uses two different Greek words. For faith works, he uses a Greek word that simply means, you know, doing something, activity. Faith is active. It does work. It does something. It expresses itself. For love labors, that word labor, he uses a word which talks about feeling the pain, the weariness of doing something. So faith works and love endures the pain and the weariness of doing that. So we work or we must have faith and we must have love. We need that together. Are you understanding? Because faith works, but it's love that enables us to endure the pain, the weariness, the, you know, the, the, the weight of that work. Otherwise, we get worn out, burnt out, tired, gone. Because the only faith works, but if it's not done in love, it's not motivated by love, you don't have the capacity to hold on or go through the pain, the weariness of that work. Faith works, love labors. Let's say that. Faith works, love labors. And hope gives us the patience. It gives us cheerful endurance through it all. While faith is working, love is laboring, faith gives us the sustaining ability, the ability to be cheerful through time. Don't walk about with a grumpy face. Oh God, I got to preach another sermon today. <laughs> Sometimes I feel tired. You do feel tired. But faith works, love labors. And hope keeps us patient. Gives us the cheerful endurance to journey through all of this. So he says, I remember these things. I I'm I'm see these things among you and in the sight of God our Father. Verse 4, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. He's saying he recognizes they are beloved. They are elected, called by God. God calls everyone, and those who say yes to him become the elect or the chosen of God. Let's look at verses 5, 6, and 7. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Notice he says, how the gospel came to these people. How did he bring the gospel to them? He says, our gospel didn't come just in word, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance. So when we brought the gospel, Paul is telling them, we just didn't preach it to you, but there was demonstration of the power of God. And there was the power of the Holy Spirit. And there was much assurance. Or we spoke it to you with much confidence or with much conviction. So it wasn't just words we we're talking about. There was power. There was the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there was great confidence. And you know what kind of people we were among you. You saw us walk this out before you. And then very interesting in verse 6. Notice what he says. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. And I was quite taken up by that. He puts us people ahead of the Lord. You became followers of us. He didn't say you became followers of Jesus says, you became followers of us and of Jesus. I thought that's very interesting. Why? Because people get to see you and me before they see Jesus. Or you can put it like this. People get to see Jesus in you and me. And so these new believers, 
were followers, started following Paul, Silas, Timothy. Hey, whatever they're doing, follow them. And who are they following? They are following the Lord. So he says, you became followers of us and of the Lord. And then what happened? And you became examples to all those who are in Achaia and Macedonia. Achaia and Macedonia were just districts. Macedonia district, they had all these cities like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. In the district of Achaia was Athens and Corinth, the other cities. So he's saying, look, you started, you followed us, and you in turn became examples to all the other people in these districts. So I was thinking about the ripple effect of lives, of exemplary lives. Think about that. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they set the example. These new believers saw that and they started imitating them. And then they became examples to other people. Are you with me? The power of example. What kind of examples are you and I being as followers of the Lord. If people just, quote unquote, blindly follow you and me, just blindly they follow you and me, would they end up following Jesus? I'm not saying people have to be blind. I'm just saying that if people just followed us blindly, would they end up following the Lord? Paul said, you became followers of us and of the Lord. And then you became examples to others. Think about that ripple effect. So, the example your life sets is so powerful and it is so important. It is so important. If people can just follow you, and if you and I are following the Lord, then they themselves will become examples to others. Amen? So that's what Paul is commending and he's recognizing has happened. And imagine this has happened in just one month. Some of you have been seeing me for two decades. Oh, man. <laughs> they saw him for one month. And their lives changed. I mean, they saw Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They saw three of them for one month. And what an impact, what an effect that their lives could be so changed. And he says here, verse 6, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Amazing. They received the word, but there was a lot of trouble. The Jews were persecuting them. In fact, Acts 16 records that the Jews went specifically after one man named Jason. Because they thought Jason is the one keeping Paul, Silas, Timothy. They dragged them out, beat them up nicely. And a few others. And after beating them, took money from them. To give them bail, you know, send them out. So there was a lot of affliction. But he says, you received the word with affliction, but in the joy of the Holy Spirit. There was hardship, and yet they were able to experience joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, verses 8 on, 8 and 9. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from wrath to come. So verse 8, he says, from you the word of God has gone out. 
So think about this. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were in Thessalonica for just about a month. They preached the gospel. Mostly Gentiles became believers. Some Jews became believers. And now he's saying the word of God is going out from Thessalonica. God's word is being spread from these groups. This, these new believers, they're on fire, full of passion. And the word of God is going out from there. And people are talking about how, verse 9, what manner of entry we had to, how you received us when we came. People are talking about this. That, hey, the, these people in Thessalonica, they received Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they experienced wonderful things. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Think about that. What caused these Gentile believers to turn from idols and to turn to the true and living God? What caused that? Can you go back to verse 5? Paul said, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, with much conviction. And you know what manner of men we were among you. And if you saw this in us, what was the result of that kind of preaching? You have turned from idols to serve the true and living God. Do you think the gospel can produce? I mean, if we preach the gospel the same way as Paul described it in First Thessalonians chapter one, verse five, do you think if we did that same thing today, we can see the same result today? Yes or no? Yeah, the gospel hasn't changed. If we bring the gospel in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction of our own hearts. And if people can see what manner of life we live among them, we will have the same result that today people will turn from idols to serve the true and living gods. It happened today. And nobody can stop the power of the gospel. Amen? It happened then. It will happen today. Proclaim the gospel with the power of the Holy Spirit and let your life and the conviction of your heart accompany the proclamation of the gospel. We'll see the same result. They turn to God. And then verse 10, Paul says, and, and you see that what are they doing? They are waiting for Jesus. And he says, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. One of the key themes through both First and Second Thessalonians is the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, obviously, in that one month that he was in Thessalonica, he talked to them, he taught these new believers about the fact that Jesus Christ will return. You see, sometimes we say, hey, don't talk about end times. That is a very difficult subject. No, no, no. In the very first month that Paul was there, he talked to the believers about the return of Jesus. So eschatology is not meant only for retired believers. It is meant for new believers. Because they all oh, leave that subject. No, no, no. Paul was right there introducing, telling them, hey, you come to faith in Jesus and you got to wait for him because he's coming back and he will save us from the rot to come. So she's proclaiming the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see that throughout all the, all the chapters that we will read through, First and Second Thessalonians. I just want to highlight this here. When he says, Jesus will return and he will save us from the wrath to come, what is he talking about? There are two, quote-unquote, wrath to come. One is the tribulation, when the judgment will be poured out on the earth. Then there is the eternal damnation or the separation from God in eternal hell. So both are included when he says, Jesus will save us from the wrath to come. And we will see that as we journey through Thessalonians. 
Y'all with me so far? You made it to the end of chapter? All right, let's do chapter two. I love chapter two because it, it shows us the heart of a minister of God. And I'd love to share chapter two mainly with those who are in the ministry. And I think all of you are in the ministry. Serving God some way or the other. So there's a, so much we can take from chapter two about how to correctly do the ministry and what are the things we must avoid. Chapter two, right? Let's go. First Thessalonians chapter two, we'll read verses one and two. For you yourselves, brethren, you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So Paul, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, is recognizing that his labor in Philippi has not been wasted. Now that's something I think many of us often wonder in our minds. God, I'm doing this. Is it producing fruit or is it all just a waste? And Paul also had that concern. And you'll find it in many of his episodes. When he wrote to the Galatians, he says, Oh, Galatians, I hope I've not labored in vain for all of you. Same thing with Corinthians. Oh, Corinthians, who has, you know, bewitched you? I mean, that's Galatians. And Corinthians, oh, I don't want the devil to deceive you. Now, he doesn't want his labor to go in vain. He has that concern. You find that in the epistles. Meaning you're working, but you don't want it to go in vain. And so here he says, I know our labor, our work amongst you was not wasted. Because, and he continues in verse 2, he says, you know, we brought the gospel to you out of so much affliction. We suffer, they had suffered in Philippi, so he's referencing that. They were beaten in Philippi. And can you imagine, you know, if you and I were beaten in one city, we'd book our ticket home. <laughs> Flight home. Go home. And these Paul, Silas, they were, you know, they were beaten in Philippi. It's okay, let's go on to Thessalonica. We'll preach here. So they come to Thessalonica. They say, look, when we came to you, we had been beaten in their next previous city. And we showed up here. And in much conflict, and the Jews were troubling us here also. And in much conflict, we brought the gospel to you. You know that. This is not, it wasn't easy when we brought the gospel to you. And then, very interesting. In verses 3 to 6, Paul lists seven things he did not do as a minister of the gospel. So, I would say, seven things you must not do as a preacher, as a minister, as a servant of God. Try and see if you can identify these seven things in verses 3 to 6. Let's read that. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. Not, we, not did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. So Paul is saying, I want you, I know that you observed these things. How we conducted ourselves when we brought the gospel to you. And he mentioned seven things he chose not to do. And so these are seven things you and I must not do when we are ministering in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are those seven things? Just follow with me in, in these verses, verses three to six. Number one, he says, verse three, our exhortation did not come from error. That means we were not preaching lies. We were not preaching untruths to you. This was not a delusion. So we didn't preach error. Number two, 
no uncleanness or no impure motive. We did not try to trick you into believing. There's no unclean thing there. Number three, no deceit. There was no intent to mislead or fool them. So we don't mislead people. Come to Jesus and you will, you know, get three cars and four houses. Don't mislead people. Are you listening? So there was no intent to mislead them. Number four, in verse five, he says, no flattering words. So we don't use cunning compliments. You compliment somebody, but actually you're tying them up, twisting them around your finger. No cunning compliments, no flattery. Number five, there was no cover for greed, no cloak for covetousness. That means we were not hiding our covetousness under a cover of spirituality. We didn't come and preach religion in order to drain your finances. No. There was no cloak for covetousness. We didn't use religion as a cover-up for our greed. No, we didn't do that. Then he says, number six, we were not seeking glory from men. So don't seek the applause of man. And number seven, we did not make demands of you. Because we don't demand things from people. You give me 10,000 rupees and I'll pray for you for one minute. <laughs> we don't do such things. Are you with me? So in these verses, verses 3 to 6, seven things Paul says, I didn't do. Or we did, he and his team. We didn't do when we were among you. We stayed away from all that. And then he says, we as ministers, we know we are approved by God. We've been entrusted by God. He says, you know, this is a sacred calling. Think about it, that God himself has approved us. And God himself entrusts us. I mean, God trusts you. Forget, I'm not saying your father, your mother, your wife trusts you. I'm saying God trusts you. God approved us. God entrusted us. What a sacred place. And therefore, we can't mess around with these things. We recognize the sacredness of our calling. We've been approved by God. We've been entrusted by God to do this. Are you all with me? And there are two things Paul is very conscious about, which he mentions here. In verse 4, he says, God tests our hearts. In verse 5, he says, God is witness. God tests our hearts. That means God is checking on our motives. Verse 5, God is witness, meaning God is watching our actions. So God is checking our motives, and God is watching our actions. Are you with me? Now he's put this in the context of them, how they conducted themselves as ministers. He says, when we came to you, we didn't do all these things. Because we realize God has approved us, God has entrusted us, and we know that God is checking our motives and God is watching our actions. Amen? So I think to myself, how do I conduct myself as a minister of God? How do I conduct myself as somebody who's been approved and entrusted? How do you conduct yourself as somebody who's been approved and entrusted by God to do what you're doing? It's a sacred calling. Look at verses 7 and 8. So, he did not do these seven wrong things, but how did they conduct themselves? Verse 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. And so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Verses 7 and 8. In one month, he says, hey, you guys captured our hearts. You'd become dear to us. And so this is how we ministered among you. 
How did Paul minister among them? He says, verse 7, we were with gentleness. Secondly, with sincere care, like a mother would take care of her own nursing child. With verse 8, with affection, with sincere love. And he says, with willing sacrifice, we're ready to give our lives. So four things. How did Paul and his team minister among these people? With gentleness, with sincere care, with affection, with willing sacrifice. So how do we work with people that we are called to serve? That's the standard set for us by Paul and his team. This is how you do it. Verses 9 through 12. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved among ourselves among you who believe. And you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. That you walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. It's interesting. He uses the metaphors of a mother and father. Mother, how lovingly a mother cared for you. And we charged you like a father. So hey, motivated you, charged you, encouraged you, guided you as a father. But I want you to notice some th few things here. He says, brethren, you saw... Our work, that is our labor and toil. Second, our conduct, how we were devout, just, and blameless. You also saw a ministry, we exhorted, comforted, and charged you. So I see three categories here. Our work, our conduct, our ministry. How we worked among you, how we conducted ourselves among you, and how we ministered to you. So I ask ourselves this question. When we serve God and people see us serving Him, what do they see about our work? Pastor, he preaches two hours in a week, that's all. Or does he say, hey, he actually works. He labors amongst us. Work, conduct. Paul said we conducted ourselves devoutly, justly, blamelessly. And the ministry, we encouraged you, we charged you, we taught you, we ministered that way. What do people say? How you serve, how you do this amongst them. I also want to point out in verse 10, Paul said, You are witnesses and God also. Very interesting. It says, You are witnesses and God also. In other words, how we live life both before man and God is important. You are witnesses and God also. Some say, oh, I don't care about people. I only, it's only about God. But Paul said, you are witnesses. You saw it. How we live among people is important. How, what they see is important. You are witnesses and God also of how we lived life among you. Verse 13. Are you all with me so far? Yes? No? You like to go on your own trip now? <laughs> we'll let you go in a few minutes. Verse 13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us. You welcomed it not as the word of men. But as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So he's commending them for how they receive the word of God. You see, how you receive God's word will determine whether or not it effectively works in you. How you receive it. He says, when you heard us bring the word, you didn't treat it lightly as the word of man. Ah, oh, he's just talking something. No. You received it as it is in truth. This is the word of God. And because you received it like that, it effectively works in you. 
So how you receive God's word will determine how it's going to work in you. Amen? So with, with a whole heart, God, this is your word. It's not just pastor preaching something. This is your holy word. My heart is open. I want to receive your word. I want your word to work in me. I want your word to change me. I want your word to strengthen me. I want your word to heal me, deliver me, set me free. God, I'm receiving your word. I've come to receive your word. And that word will effectively work in you and in me. Depending on how we receive it. So he's commending them for how they received the word. Look at verses 14 through 16, please. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So what he's telling them is this. He's saying, Thessalonians, I know that you suffered the same way as the churches in Judea. Judea meaning around Jerusalem. So the church in Jerusalem and the churches around there, they suffered at the hands of the Jews. They were being persecuted there. And so he's saying, you Thessalonians, you also suffered like this. And then he mentions, he says, you know, these people are persecuting us. What's happening? First of all, they're not doing what's pleasing to God. Secondly, they're only adding up their own sins. They're sinning before God. And thirdly, it's the wrath of God that's coming upon them. So he says, just leave them alone. Those people are persecuting us. They're not doing what's pleasing to God. They're just adding up their own sins. And they're just getting the wrath of God on their lives. Verse 17 and 18. Verse 17 and 18. But we brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. So Paul is saying to believers in Thessalonica, I want you to know, although I've been absent, you're still in my heart. And I tried, I wanted to come to you over and over again. I tried many times to come to you. But he said, Satan hindered us. I was thinking about that. Satan hindered us. Now, we all understand that Satan is obviously hindering the work of God's kingdom. He's trying to stop and, you know, put hurdles and obstacles and try to hinder us from doing the work, from serving God and serving people. But I was also wondering, could the apostle Paul have just kicked the devil aside? And still gone to Thessalonica. Because after all, Paul is the one who wrote all the other episodes where he told us that Jesus has disarmed principalities and powers. And is, you know, the God of peace will crush Satan underneath your feet. And he said, you know, God has given us weapons of warfare that is pull down strongholds and cast down everything. So, hey, take, the, take unto you, this, you know, the, the weapon of God, the, the armor of God and stand up against him. I mean, Paul, you've told us all this. And here you're in an almost... Giving up way, saying, ah, Satan hindered us. Just thinking about that. Could the Apostle Paul have overthrown the hindrance of the enemy and pushed past that and just gone to Thessalonica? I mean, if he wanted to really care for them and, and, and wanted to show that, you know, you're still in my heart, he could have landed up there. He could have pushed the enemy aside. He could have. But why didn't he? What is he just saying, hey, I really wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered me, full stop. Well, one thing that I could con conclude was, there are some battles that are not worth fighting. Paul wanted to go to Thessalonica. 
He knew that through these Jews who were persecuting them and chasing them out, they chased them out of Thessalonica, chased them out of Berea. They were opposing Paul's return. And say, Paul recognized Satan's hindering us. Paul could have pushed against it, used his spiritual authority, his God-given authority. But he didn't. And instead, he just moved on. He went on to Athens, and he went on to Corinth, and from there he traveled through to Ephesus, and he moved on to Jerusalem, and he went on in his ministry. He didn't fight to go back. He just moved forward. The message I take away is there are some battles that are not worth fighting. Just leave it alone. And so fighting the enemy on this side, just get up there and expand the kingdom on the other side. That will do more damage to the enemy than investing all your time and energy trying to fight this battle. So choose your battles. Does it make sense? The Bible said those who are ignorant, let them be ignorant still. No. <laughs> what am I saying? Choose your battles. You don't have to fight every battle that comes. Leave this. Move on. Because in doing this, you'll have greater impacts for God's kingdom. Paul went to Athens. Athens was the intellectual capital of the world. And over there, he turned things upside down. He went to Corinth. Corinth was the sin capital of the world. Over there, he had a strong church established. Are you with me? So move on. Fight the enemy on the other side. And what you do the other side can extend the kingdom of God much more than engaging in this battle. Yeah, he's hindering here. Move on there. You'll do greater things. So the enemy thinks he stopped you on one side. You don't know. On the other side, he's going to be completely ruined. He close with these words, very beautiful words from the Apostle Paul. Worship team, please come. Beautiful words, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope? Let's read it together, please. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Wow, beautiful words. What is Paul saying? He's saying, you know, when we stand in the presence of the Lord, what is it that's going to give us great joy and rejoicing and something that we can boast about in God's presence, in the presence of the Lord? What is it? You know, Paul could have said, you know, I'm, I've done two missionary journeys. I've gone to so many cities. Uh, I've done all this, 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 this. But he's not talking about any of that. He says, you are our crown of rejoicing. You are our glory and joy. That means the people that you have touched, the people that you have served, who will be in the presence of God because you did something. Says that is our crown of rejoicing. That is our glory and our joy. Think about that. It's about people. The lives you touch, the lives you serve. You know, you may be busy at work. And at work, your life may be that example that somebody sees. You may bless somebody. You may touch somebody. And you don't know how you touch them. Maybe the life you're living makes them think about Jesus. Makes them go and find out more about Jesus very secretly. They may not even come and tell you. And there in the presence of the Lord, you see these people. So, wow, you're here. And they say, yeah, because your life spoke to me. Your life pointed me to Jesus. The example you set, the words you spoke, directed me 
to Jesus. And Paul says that people who are in the presence of God because of what something you did, something we did, so that is our crown of rejoicing. That is what we are going to celebrate when we are in the presence of the Lord. Amen? So think about that. How can your life and my life bring people to the other side to be in the presence of the Lord? Amen? We're going to continue our journey in Thessalonians as we go along. So I'd encourage you to read this and just soak this in. Read it over and over again. Uh, and just soak everything that's there uh, in these two books. But take some time to think. These early believers, it was not easy for them. They faced a lot of hardship. And they were firm in their faith. Paul and Silas and Timothy and so many others who served in those early days to make sure that the church grew and become, became this powerful dominant force on the earth. It was not easy for them. They sacrificed. They faced hardships. But you and I are here today because of what they did, their faithfulness, their sacrifice. You and I are here today with the Bible in our hand, with the Word of God given to us. And may we in our day, in our generation, be faithful to Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's rise to our feet, please.
Thank you, God. Father, we just pray that today, in our day, in our time, each of us will stand strong in our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we'll stand firm. That our lives will be a testimony, a witness to those around us. That they will see Jesus in us. That they will become followers of us and of the Lord. God, we pray that the things we've heard and learned from these scriptures will be things we live by. That we will practice. We will do in our lives. Help each of us, God. Help each of us to live by the truth of your words. Empowered by your spirit. And God, use each of us to make a difference in the lives of many, many, many people. To see them in the presence of the Lord. Because that will be our true rejoicing. That will be our true glory. To see people in your presence. Help us to do that. We thank you. Before we close, we always want to give an opportunity to people to receive Jesus Christ. As we heard today, there is the gospel, the good news of Jesus that causes us to turn away from other things and turn to the true and living God. And what is that gospel? The gospel is simply this, that we are sinners and we can't do anything to help ourselves. But God sent Jesus into this world. He died for us on the cross. He took upon himself our sins. He was buried. He rose up again. And the Bible says, anyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And they are brought into the kingdom of God. They are made the children of God. That's the good news. Anyone can believe in Jesus Christ. And receive forgiveness of their sins. Come into a relationship with God. Enter into the kingdom of God. And if you have never, personally, if you've never made a decision to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to follow Him, and you, would, you feel in your heart, I want to do that. I want to follow Jesus. Nobody's forcing you. Nobody's compelling you. This is your decision. You feel in your heart you want to do it and you've never done it before. I'm going to lead us in a simple prayer. And if you'd like to, you can just pray that prayer with me. You just say this with me. If you've never done this before, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive my sins. Come into my life. Make me a child of God. And help me to follow you and you alone the rest of my life. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Is anyone here who prayed this prayer with me for the very first time? I want to see a hand. We want to celebrate with you. Anybody here you prayed this prayer with me for the very first time in your life? You made that decision this morning. Anybody here? Could you just wave your hand at me? Anybody? You prayed this prayer with me for the very first time. Anyone? I don't see anyone here. Okay. I don't see any hand here. But if you prayed that prayer with me for the very first time, you made that decision in your heart to believe in Jesus. We have a bag that we want to give you. It's got some resources that will help you in your, uh, to grow in your faith in Jesus, to get to know more about the Lord. So make sure you meet with one of our ushers before you leave. Tell them you prayed that prayer, you won that gift. Those of you watching online, you can go to our church website. Just enter your details there and say, I prayed that prayer today. And we will reach out to you to share some free resources with you as well. Let's close, please. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, 
and the sweet fellowship of his Holy Spirit continue with each of us always in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, and books, please visit apcwo.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, visit apcbiblecollege.org. Do remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the Apple or Google Play Store.